Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much, God, that we're here today. Lord, we know, God, that you have a word for each and every single one of us. God, something, Lord, that you're going to bring to our foreknowledge or, or, or to our understanding, God, of, of things that you want to challenge us with so that, God, you can bring the change that is needed inside each and every one of us. So my prayer here for these next few moments, Father, is that we would open our minds and our hearts and our spirits, God, that we will be receptive of what it is that you have for us today. So God, speak to each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, move how you see fit. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Wow. It's a big Sunday. It's championship Sunday. Ah, did you like that one, right? You thought I was going to be spiritual, didn't you? Go Chiefs! All right, if you're a Patriots fan, I'm really sorry. We'll pray for you later. All right. Ah, kidding aside, man. Here we are. Uh, We are in, normally I don't do a sermon series that lasts quite this long. Uh, This is week four. We're going to go into week five next week, so I'm not completely finished with this message series that we've been in. But I know that I've enjoyed this message series called Keep the Change. It's really even challenged me in my own personal life of things and habits and maybe some stuff that God wants to do with inside of myself. I know that God wants to do many things with inside of your life. And we all get into the routine sometimes of the new year being what? Man, let's make those resolutions. Let's do something different. Let's, and, you know, a lot of times we look at that and we go, well, typically what happens is within those first two Three weeks tops, what happens? You know, you, you, you just flounder on them. You know what I mean? They're just no good anymore, and, and, and you're getting nowhere with it. And so a lot of times we walk away kind of discouraged, and we'll go, well, you know what? We'll give it a good try again next year, all right? Or you know, I found this to be quite funny, and, and I said this, I think, two weeks ago. I said oftentimes we go into a new year wanting change, but when we get into it, we realize that we forgot to bring the change, that we thought of in December for our lives. Have you ever been there, right, in December? Oh, you know what? When the new year starts, I'm going to do this. The new year starts, the the schedules get hectic, everything gets busy, and next thing you know, you don't forget all about it. And then you go, well, we'll just have to attack that again next year. I believe, you know, God gives us some scripture, and he says this, and, and he says, make a vow before the Lord and keep it. Make a vow. In other words, making a covenant, saying, you know what, God, this is what I want to do of my life so that it is more pleasing, Lord, to you. And what? Follow through with it. Keep it. Don't give up when times get tough. Don't get weak in the season. So we've laid out in week one, we talked about picking the right changes. What are those things that God really wants out of our lives? How can we, Lord, do better for you. In turn, when we do better in our service to him, it seems like other areas that we want change in, it just kind of happens. Uh, week two, we looked at there's a power in change. We understand that each one of us, we have an agent, and that agent is in the Holy Spirit. God has freely given us one of the greatest gifts that we could ever have asked. And, and I love it because in the Gospels, Jesus really built it that up. He said, look, There's something coming that's greater than me. And that's hard to comprehend, isn't it? How is anything greater than Jesus? Well, simply this, it's a gift that empowers us 
to be able to use the word of God and to spread it and bring what? Change in the other people's lives. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, how would the word be communicated the way it's being effectively communicated today? And then we understand in week three, what we looked at last week was a plan for change. And what is that? That is this, when we're hearing the word of God, when we're reading the word of God, we're not just absorbing it, but we're doing something about it. We're responding to it, right? We go through those daily devotional times and we're taking in the word. And God oftentimes is pointing his finger at areas in our lives that he would like to see us work on or change together, him and I, him and you. And so what happens, a lot of times we go through those devotions and we read them and and we just take it all in, but we never really allow that finger to be pointed on those areas of our lives that we want changed. And many times we do that simply for the fact that we go, I don't want to deal with that issue. Too much hurt behind that. There's been too much pain there. And God, you know what? I'm numb to it, so let's keep it unfresh for now. And so what happens in many times is that we ignore the change that God has instituted for your life because simply, one, we procrastinate to it, don't we? It's easy to procrastinate, isn't it? Absolutely. We, we become lazy over it. We just simply, or watch as we get the I don't care, or we get that whole point of I don't want to deal with that change right now. All of us within our lives, there's still change that needs to, to happen. Watch this. Two-thirds that go through a crazy change in their diet or routine in order to lose weight, watch this, will put that weight back on afterwards. So with that said, it's change is only half the battle. It's keeping the progress is where the real discipline is. You guys are sleeping today or something. I mean, I might as well be talking to that wall. Come on now. You're wanting change within your life. You're applying the Bible. You're allowing application to happen. But then what happens when you get the change? You become lazy about it. You go, oh, I've already received it now, so now I can kind of gradually, gradually, gradually step back into the same routine again. And then a year from now, you're going to look at yourself and what in the world happened? What happened? You happened. All right. You'll, You'll catch on here shortly. I'm excited about this message. I don't care if you are or not, all right? <laughs> Golly day. So here we go. I was, um, I was sitting there thinking, what, what could I challenge us, or what would be a good subtitle? I've given a subtitle to each one of these messages, and this one is called Like a Hawk, all right? So look at the person beside you. I'm, gonna make, I'm forcing you to open up here. Look at the person beside you and say, Like a Hawk. All right. Do it one more time. Just do it. Thank you. All right, so we're going to learn how to protect our change by watching ourselves simply like a hawk. This is defined as watching something extremely closely. That's our assignment. If we are going to protect our change, one, we must understand there should be value in it. Anything that you value, you're going to watch. You are. You're watching your bank account every single day. You're logging in to your bank and you're looking at what, you're looking through your checkbook. You're doing all these, why? Because you have value in it. You're watching your kids or you should be watching your kids. Why? Because there's value in it. 
You get rid of your minivan and you get a forerunner. You're watching it in the parking lot. Why? Yes, praise God. Because there's value in it. Did y'all catch I got it. It's gone. All right. The silver bullet no longer exists for us. So excited. So excited about that day. I haven't talked anything about that because I've been letting it be on the burner, but now I'm bringing it up, all right? If you have value in something, you're going to watch it. And watch this. If there's something on your mind or if God's laid something within your heart that says you need to change that and you see value in it, you're going to begin to apply it. You're going to begin to do things that are necessary for that change to happen. So then what should we do if we have value in it it then becomes our responsibility to watch it. Watch the progress. Keep the progress. Not allowing ourselves to become like we once were. Not allowing people around us to influence like they once have done. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a guy named Nehemiah in the Bible. And he's a guy who was gripped with a dream. He heard about what was going on in Jerusalem, and he was in exile living far away at a place called Persia, which was formerly known as Babylon. Now, many of you are going to be like, Pastor, I've heard you speak on this topic before. You're going to hear it again, all right? Because I really, I got a little bit of a twist to it today, all right? So he worked for a king, and it was his job to bring the king his wine glass or a cup. He was considered, his title was a cup bearer, all right? So what would happen was this. If there was something that was coming to the king, Nehemiah had to taste it or drink it first. If he lived, it went to the king. Could you imagine if he had a bad day at work? <laughs> All right. So he was trying to make sure that nothing was trying to kill the king, and this gave him access to the king. Now, I'm going to stop there for just a quick moment. I want you to understand this, that some of the places or maybe where you are at right now within your life, you may not be excited about it. You may think it's against the will or furthest away from the plan that God may have for you, but watch this. God sets up everything strategically. Amen. Amen. Which means the very place that you are in, God has either put you there or he's allowed you to be in that season for a reason. All right, now keep that in the back of your head. Here we go. So the nation had been in exile for over a century, and Nehemiah heard a report of what was happening in Jerusalem. There had been several attempts to get things back to the way they once were. Unfortunately, though, the news that had, been, that had been brought back to Nehemiah was that things were not successful. The, the people trying to, you know, trying to build the walls back up. The, the walls were down. The gates were burning. The people were full of grief. They were disheartened, all right? They were upset. Now, when Nehemiah heard this, it brought him down. In other words, what? He becomes sad. He was upset over this. This is his native land. This is where he's from. He's proud of this area. He loves this area. He loves these people. But God looking on him pretty much said, look, Nehemiah, here's your spot. This is the very thing that I want you to begin to work on. This is the area that I've called you to get involved in. So there's something there that I need you to do for me, God's saying. Do you know what Nehemiah did in that moment? Watch this. It's, it's kind of like going back to what we talked about last week. When God speaks, when the word of God is brought into our lives, into our souls, into our hearts, and our minds, our spirits, 
we have a responsibility to do one thing, and that is this, respond to it. He, but watch this, Nehemiah continued to do what he was doing, but he had a dream in his heart. So God spoke to him of what he wanted to see Nehemiah get involved in and do. But we understand through the scriptures that Nehemiah continued to do what he was doing, but he never let go of the dream that was within his heart. So he would go to the king time and time again and, and bring the cup, but eventually the king looked at him and said, what is wrong? Nehemiah, what's going on here? You seem down. What is the problem? And so Nehemiah begins to explain to him what it is. And so the king looks at him and says, well, what do you need? Well, you know, I, 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 I need bodyguards. I need access. I need, uh, I need passports. I need governorship. And the king is like this, okay, well, how long is it going to take? Not really sure. It's just going to take until it ends. It's done. But watch this. What Nehemiah did before even that was he continued to do his everyday behaviors. He continued to stay faithful to the Lord, but he also continued to do what God had already laid out before him. What might have seemed so small compared to his dream was the very thing that was setting himself up in order to accomplish what God had in store. So what he was doing with his hands every single day eventually transpired into his heart and it came to be. So what does that mean? He was faithful for what he was doing, never losing the dream, all the while God was preparing everything and setting it up for what would be a huge, tremendous change. Well, that sounds boring. I mean, if God gives us a plan, if God puts it in our heart, you know what we want to do? I quit. I'm dropping everything. I'm going after the plan of the Lord. Ah. Sometimes we become overzealous. When God is trying to say this, I'm, I'm educating you on it right now. I'm building the dream in your heart. I'm getting you excited about it all while I'm preparing you to do something great. Don't stop what you're doing. Continue in what you are doing. God is the one who opens the doors. Don't physically try to open the doors yourself. Can I say that one more time? God is the one who needs to open the doors. Stop trying to physically open those doors yourself. Because all will happen is you will fail. It's like this. God, close the doors you want closed and open the doors you want open. Watch this. We see that with David, right? What, what, what happened there? Samuel comes and, and anoints him as king. He goes where? Right back to the field. Doing what? What he was doing. God put the dream in his heart. God put the, the vision there. All the while, he was preparing him to do something huge. All right. So Nehemiah kept doing all of this stuff. God took what was in his heart and used it by what was in his hand. That's exactly how God wants to do within our lives. Nehemiah goes, and with the help of the people of Israel, he goes and he rebuilds these walls. The previous 141 years, no one else was able to do this. God used a cupbearer who simply had a vision, all right? It's amazing how God was putting everything together. And see, it's easy for us to look back at this and read this story and see the fingerprint of God in everything. What you need to know right now is that the fingerprint of God is upon every one of your lives. Just because you don't feel like you're in the will of God does not mean you're not in the will of God. 
God is the one who strategically moves everything and puts it into place. Not you. Now, he did all of this within 52 days. That's how long it took for him to build that wall. What took 141 years of nothing but failure. Can you consider and make the obstacles and the opposition that came upon him? There were these guys named Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem. They showed up to oppose everything that Nehemiah and the people were doing. They mocked, they criticized, they defamed, they blackmailed him personally. They tried to bring and intimidate him. They even sent death threats to him that they would kill him in his sleep. Who in the world is going to continue in that? How many of us at that point, at some point during that time, would have been like, you know what, God? I think there's somebody else that can take care of this one. Right? I'm good. I got a family. You know, God, that doesn't fit my schedule. You know, God, God, do, do, I don't have those abilities. I don't have those talents. God, do you know what my friends and my inner circle is going to think about me? All right. What was the problem with these three people? Watch this. There are some people in your life. Uh, let me, let me. Listen up to this, okay? This is a really good word of truth. There are some people in your life that think the more you decrease, the more they will increase. I'm going to repeat that. There are some people in your life that think the more you decrease, the more they will increase. That's ridiculous. That is absurd. Because simply this, God says that he has his own blessing, what? For each one of us. So these guys uh, ha had the mentality that if we can make you look bad, we will look good. They had a financial interest here. They didn't want to see anything happen here. So this brings us, here we go, Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 18. Let's look at our scripture. It says this, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. So this was Nehemiah's response to the intimidating threats that were directed to him and to the people. From that point on, they worked with a sword in one hand and a shovel in another. In other words, they were going to continue to go after the will of God, but be, but be protected by the sword. How does that rely, how does that impact us? Somebody give me a Bible. That's a shame, the pastor doesn't even have a Bible. It's on iPad. It's all good. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. I'm going to borrow this the rest of the time. Is that all right? I know. What does that tell me? That tells me this every single day. This thing right here must be in my hand. I cannot overcome the threats of the enemy without it. I am weak without the word. I have no strength without the word. I have no ability without the word. I have no vision without the word. And watch this. If I don't have this sword in my hand, then what I try to accomplish with this hand will fail. Everything that you try to do on your own without the word of God being a part of your everyday life, I promise you it might be successful or appear to be for a moment or a season, but it will fail. I'm going to keep this, all right? So, after the building of the wall, what's next? Here's what they had. They had 24 days of a re revival that broke out. The church, they were singing, they were praising. And I love this. This is like my favorite part of this little story. 
But Tobiah, one of those guys that was ridiculing Nehemiah for building this uh, wall and having these people a part of it, and later or earlier scriptures, you can go ahead and read that at another time, not right now. Listen to me. But he looks at him and he says, look, Nehemiah, that wall is so weak, you put a fox on it, it's going to crumble down. It's going to fall. But watch this. The church, after this was done, they went through 24 days of revival. And we understand they began to march around that city. But they didn't do it on the outside of the wall. You know what they did? They did it on top of it. They said what what the enemy thought was going to fall and never happen to be and never have strength behind it was way more stronger. Oh, my gosh. I sit there and I look at it and I go, God. Look at my life. Look at what you're doing here in our church. Look at the things that you're doing in the people of your church. The enemy is attacking, saying, oh, you know what? This is weak. It's not going to last. You're never going to be able to accomplish these things. Your family will never come to Christ. Your kids will always act like, you know, whatever they act like in a good word. You know, all of this stuff. No, no, no. God says, you don't understand. I orchestrated. I designed it. I planned it. I willed it. I gave you the sword in one hand so that you can put the shovel in the other. And because of that, there is strength. And whatever God puts together, it's kind of like when you marry a couple, let no man put asunder, right? No division. It will always be strong. Now, so here's what they did. They had a revival that broke out. And, and, and what they really began the teaching of was over time, money, relationships, time. They didn't honor God with it previously. They didn't observe the Sabbath, really. And that was all about simply trusting God. God, I should be believing that you are going to provide for me through the sixth so that I can get through the seventh as an act of worship to you. We think we have to do everything every single day of the week, don't we? I'm, I'm guilty of that. Do we even really uh, observe the Sabbath anymore the way it should be? Thank you. Yes, it will. How about this? Finances. They were not honoring God with them, not giving of their givings or tithings and offerings. It was not aligning themselves up with the scriptures. You want to live a blessed life, give God what's God's. Take home what's yours or what he gives you because it's all his. Thirdly, relationships. They were being aligned with marrying people that were pulling them away from God. They were not staying true to what God had called them. All these things, these elements of idolatry, uh, prioritizing things above God. So what did they do during those 24 days of revival? They studied God's word. They were being consistent with it. It wasn't a hit or miss. You get an amen on that. It wasn't a hit or miss. And to the point, or Ezra, he gets on this platform, he begins to read the Bible, and he's explaining it. He's reading a little more, and then he explains a little more to them. And watch what they do. They ended up going and branching off into small groups, or what I like to call life groups. There's a plug for life groups. They're so important. What did they do during those times? What did you learn? How how is it affecting your life? How are you putting these things, this knowledge, this scripture, how are you putting it to, are you responding? What can we pray with you about? They begin to become convicted deeply as they read about these passages concerning time, money, and relationships. Some people say that the Bible isn't relevant. Well, watch this. We still have problem with our time. We still have problem with our finances, our money. And watch this. We definitely still have problem within our relationships. Let's take a look at Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38. It says this. In view of all of this, We are making a binding agreement. Stop right there for a second. 
in view of all of this, Nehemiah is saying, look, God, here's what we're doing. We're making a binding agreement. We're making a covenant. Here you pretty much have a nation. They're coming together, and they're all in one accord. They're in agreement. This is what we are going to do, right? A binding agreement, a covenant. We're putting in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. In other words, they're saying, we're stamping this with approval. This is what we are going to do. Nothing is going to change from this. This is what must happen. We're making a covenant. Now, the next chapter is written of the names of the heads of each household and each family. This showing that they will honor God with their what? Time, money, and relationships. Now, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 39. He goes on to say this. We will not neglect the house of our God. We will not neglect it. Nehemiah, he's excited. He feels accomplished. And so because of that, he feels like, you know what? My job now is what? Done. I'm good. Everything's great. He goes back to Persia. What does he do there? He goes right back to the same job he was involved in before. He did not allow everything to get to his head, did he? He did not become too big for himself. He did not think he was better than everyone else. He went right back into the same job. Ten years goes by. Things begin to unravel. Shocking, right? It seems like every time you see something great happen in the Bible, what happens? It unravels. Kind of like your life. God moves. God wants to bring change. Then what happens? We allow things to what? Unravel. Those covenants, those agreements that we say we're making, we're going to stick to. I'm for real this time, God. We've been there. Watch this. Nehemiah chapter 13, 4. I got a lot of scripture here, so y'all just bear with me, okay? Nehemiah 13, 4. Before this, Elishab, the priest, had been in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God, and he was closely associated with who? Tobiah. Are you serious? The enemy himself. The one who was trying to bring division. Now what are you doing? You're associating yourself here? This is wrong. This is messed up. Watch. 5 through 11, or actually 5 through a whole lot. How about that? And he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles. So the people, 10 years goes by, they make a covenant, but slowly they begun to what? Unravel. And the priest who's in charge becomes really good friends with this guy named Tobiah, who in fact was discouraged and was the enemy and was trying to what? Lose heart, come against, unravel, break up. And now what do they do? He says he formerly used to store the grain room. What did he do? He provided a room for him where the temple articles were and also the tithes of the grain, the new wine, the olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. This is Nehemiah speaking. For in the 32nd year of Xerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil things Elishab had done in providing Tobiah in a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased. I say he was. And watch this, and I love this. He gets there. What does he do? And I threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the room, and then I put it back in 
back into the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the the grain offerings and the incense. Some of you need to take on that same mentality and get and take a look at the inventory of your life, and you must begin to throw out the things that God never intended for them to be there. You want change, but you're allowing the same garbage to take residence of what God intended for something different. That's good preaching, Pastor. All right, I'm moving on. Verse 10. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. In other words, they stopped giving. We have a problem here. They made an agreement that the giving was what? Going to be there. They were going to do what was supposed to happen. They were going to fulfill their responsibility. They stopped doing it, so the Levites... Right? The musicians, hey guys, we can't do anything now. We got to go back out. Verse 11, he goes this So I rebuked the officials and I asked them, Why is the house of God neglected? Let's just stop right there. Why is the house of God neglected? You say, Well, I think we do pretty good here. I'm talking about you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Why has it been neglected? Why have you not gotten rid of those articles? Why have you not gotten rid of those items, those relationships, those things that God has never intended for your life? You think it's needed in your life? God said, no, I am needed in your life. You think you can only survive? You think you can only have happiness through these things? God says, I am the author of happiness. How hard is that to get through your head? You want joy and let it be unspeakable and what, full of glory? Here I am. Now let's, get on. let's go on. Verse 15. In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading in on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. Here's a time issue. Weren't they supposed to observe the Sabbath? Didn't the Bible say that? What in the instructions written right here? They were bringing all of this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. Verse 17, I love it. I rebuked. He's rebuking a lot. But he's not rebuking just them. He's rebuking us. Because we fall into the same guidelines. We're, we're, we're right there. He says, I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is the wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God had brought all this calamity on us and all this city? He's like, What are you doing? Stop. Have you not learned your lesson? Have you not figured this out? If you would just line yourself up with God's will and plan for your life, how much more better would it be for you? All right. Now you are, okay, yeah, I forgot where I was. Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that your God brought all the calamity on us and on this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. Verse 19. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not open until the Sabbath was over. I love that. I'm going to stop there for just a quick second. He says enough is enough. There's no planning to this, right? Here's what you get. 
I know I need to, Pastor. I, I know I need it. I know. God's working on me. God, God's, he's just working on me. I, I know I'm going to get to the spot that I need to get to. I, one day I'm going to give my life over, right? One day I'm going I'm to decide to break that habit. One day I'm going to get rid of that filth. And you guys are playing this within your mind all the time. I love what he did. He goes instantly, what? Shut him. We're going to do this thing the right way. Let's shut it. Stop overthinking this. Some of you have heard the word. You've read the word. You know what you're supposed to do. The Holy Spirit has spoke to you, but you're not responding. You continue to put off, to put off, to put off, to put off, to put off. And you continue to find yourself in the same, same way of life. Nehemiah observed what was wrong and he said, it's done. I'm shutting the doors. All right, let's continue. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath. Why did he station his own men? Because his own men were strong enough. He didn't go back to the people and said, I stationed the same people who, who, were, who, who were floundering earlier, did he? Something brand new, something totally different here. All right? But I warned them, uh, excuse me, uh, i got to find myself. Verse 20, once or twice the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. From that time on, they no longer came to the Sabbath. I love the directness right there. He says, well, why are you doing this? Stop it. If you continue, I'm arresting you. I'm not putting up with it any longer. I look at this and I go, you know what? My life is as a city to the Lord. And God, I need your wall around me. I need those gates shut to those that you want it shut to, and I need it open to those you want it open to. And Satan, devil, you have no authority over my life. And everything that you try to speak into me, I rebuke it and I come against it in the name of Jesus. It has no place in my family, in my life. Those thoughts, those actions are no longer appropriate. There will no longer be gray area when it comes to sin. Sin will be sin and good will be good. Verse 22. He says this, Then I commanded Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. So what's happening in this entire story is that this, there was a process of losing change. Nehemiah hears about it. He gets involved to bring the progress back in place. And that is why we need to watch ourselves simply like this, like a hawk. If you are going to watch ourselves, if we are going to do that, the moment we change, we have to be careful. If we keep doing what we've always done, you're going to continue to do and get what you've always got. Let's take a look at a couple of scriptures here. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says what? what? But watch yourselves. 1 Timothy 4, 16 says this, watch your life and doctrine closely. I love this was to the, Ephesians, uh, the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves. 2 John uh, verse 8, watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for. What is the scriptures telling us? What is God trying to say? You need to be attentive. Stop sticking your head in the sand. Be observant of what's going on. Be observant of who you're allowing in your life. Be observant of your thought process. Be observant of your actions. Be observant of what you're speaking. Watch yourself. 
Remember, we, 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 we said that the, the Word of God last week was like a mirror into our lives, showing us what needs to be corrected. But it's like looking in a mirror and saying, your hair's all messed up but never combing it. What good is the mirror? Nothing. You might as well dump it. Because you're not allowing the change. You're not responding to it. The Word of God is as a mirror to our spiritual being in our lives. God places His fingers on the areas of what we need to fix or what He's wanting to see done within our lives. We need to what? Respond to it. Watch yourselves. Watching it like a hawk. Here's why I say this whole hawk thing, right? A hawk can see eight times better than a human can. They can see things behind them because of the way their eyes are positioned. So they pretty much have, almost have a 360 view, degree view of everything around them. Uh, they have to because it's said that they can fly anywhere from 150 miles an hour to 240. That is crazy. I was like, wow. It says this, that if we had the eyes of a hawk, we could stand on a 10-story building, look down, and be able to see the ants crawling on the ground. That's pretty observant. So with watching, how do we protect our progress? If you are actively tracking, you will, if you're not actively tracking, you will always be backtracking. The moment that you allow yourself to be out of your sight, you become out of control. So we must, must watch ourselves. Monitoring, monitoring what? The things we say, the things we do. Monitoring your progress so we're not, what, letting these things slip within our lives. You'll simply lose change if you're not paying attention to it. Losing the change becomes easier when, number one, you've been waiting to do this for quite some time, so look in your bulletin. You let the wrong people in. Losing the change becomes easier when, what, you let the wrong people in. How could they have let Tobiah in the house of God? Tobiah wore them down through his advances. He was trying to sugar talk Nehemiah back in the day, but Nehemiah was seeing nothing with it. He was, he was all, no, that's not, no. I have a plan. God has given me a dream. I'm not going to allow anything to interfere. But the moment Nehemiah leaves out, he sees an opportunity. He sees an avenue to where he become influential. Eventually, what? The people caved in to his uh, cunning words, and he became coming around the temple. Nehemiah is no longer here. You know, uh, he's not here to guide you guys anymore, blah, 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 blah. The enemy isn't satisfied with just a toe in your life. But if you give him, a, what, an inch, he'll take a mile. When you allow the wrong people in your life, it's easy to get caught up in making, what, the wrong decisions. You begin to compare yourselves to them. I'm doing good because they are far worse than me. And eventually you begin to let your guard down as you're continually comparing yourself to other people to where you find yourself just as they are. How does that happen when we're not allowing the mirror that God has given us to bring change within our lives? Secondly, losing the change becomes easier when we are ambiguous. Right? You are being unclear or inexact. We've all said things like this. I love this. I just want to love God more. I just want to get healthier. I want to be a better parent. I want a better marriage. The problem with that is we're allowing exceptions to come into those areas. We need to be more specific within our lives. I want to be in love with God more, so this is how I'm going 
to attain this. I want to be healthier, so this is how many calories I'm going to eat a day, or how many times a week I'm going to go work out, or that I'm not going to go work out, right? I want a better marriage, so we're going to what? Pray together and seek God together as our number one. We need to become more specific instead of becoming so general with what we're saying and we want change in. You want more of God? Well, how are you going to attain that of more of God? Begin to take those steps, one foot in front of the other. Sometimes those things don't just happen all over one night. But next thing you know, you're finding yourself living in progress as you look back and you see how much further you have gained by doing the little things. We see that with Nehemiah's life. When God gave him the vision and the dream of what to do, he didn't just drop everything and go straight there. He continued to do what he was doing, keeping the vision, the dream, and the change within his life. And God began to work everything out appropriately. Number three, losing the change becomes easier when, when you don't shape your environment for success. When you don't shape your environment for success, right? So we set ourselves up. It's easy to do the right thing, and it's hard to do the wrong thing. We must change our environments up. Not allowing ourselves to be caught up in environments that are instantly going to cause failure. It's kind of like this. If you're looking to lose weight, when that light comes on at Krispy Kreme, you can't go. <laughs> I said that about a year ago or so, right? Yeah, she remembers that one. It instantly came to my mind when I was thinking of this. But think about that. Nehemiah here in this story saw the problem and the moment he got there, and he's like, what the heck are these men of Tyre allowed to set up markets in our city? We built this city on honoring God, but you're allowing them to come in. You're creating an environment that's not pleasing. You're creating an environment that's going to cause you to fail. It's kind of like an alcoholic going into a bar. They want to change, but how can they when they're allowing their environment to dictate who they are? Something's got to give. Let's, let's, let's just get honest here. You're, you have a problem with finances, but yet you're still going out shopping. You're hitting Amazon.com all the time. There's a problem here. You need to change the environment. You want a stronger marriage, but yet you're flirting with the coworker. Ooh, ooh. No, you didn't. Yeah. How can it happen? How can you have a stronger marriage? You must change the attitude. You must change the environment. Golly day. This is good stuff. This is change. This is how you keep it. This is sometimes what we don't want to hear. I've shared this before. Just looked at my notes. I remember this. You want to change the environment? I, let me, I'm going to tell them myself. I have a goal every morning. My goal is I, I do my personal devotions every single morning. Before the kids get up, I get up before they do, and, and I, I, before my wife, I get everything going. It's just me and the dog, you know? The dog gets on my nerves sometimes. But, you know, I, I make a point that I go straight to my computer, I pop it up, you know, I, I, I go right on the internet, and the first page that pops up is my Bible. Purposely. Purposely. Because you know what used to pop up? ESPN.com. 
And what would happen? Well, hold on. That's a headline. I got, I got a, what happened in the game? I fell asleep. Click. Let me just, I'll get to the word in a minute, God. Let me look here for a second, right? And next thing I know, I'm looking at that. And then I go to this. And then I go to that. And then I go to this. And then here comes feet walking out of the room. You know, I'm like, well, there went that. Now I'm going to have to find another time throughout the day to try to get it. What, you can get what you want if you prioritize right. You want that change in your life, you make the priority to make it happen. I remember one day I was, I was sitting there and I was doing it. This has been like, I think like three or four years ago, something like that. And uh, I, I went in and I, and I clicked and I, and I found myself and it was like just guilt hit me and said, what are you doing? You want something different, but you're not changing your environment. You want more of me, but yet you're substituting me for things of this world, of society. Things that are just carnal. Things that are not going to last. Did anybody hear that? Did anybody, did anybody really take note to that? That was, a, that was good. That was good. I got to give myself credit. That was good. Y'all got to change it up. You want something more of God? You want something different? You got to do something different. You can't keep on doing the same stuff and expecting something better. It's just not feasible. It's not going to happen. All right. Some of you, you want change, but you're afraid to make those conscious efforts because change might require you to simply change. What gates need to be shut? What decisions do I need to make differently? We must watch ourselves. What? Like a hawk. Number four, losing the change that becomes easier. When you have too much time on your hands. What's interesting here is that when the problem really began is when the building stopped. They were so busy building, so they were what? Vision-minded. They kept their focus. They didn't have time to be messing around. What were they doing? God's work. I love this. Serve constantly. Don't stop serving God. Don't stop serving in, in areas that he gives you opportunities to make a difference in people's lives. Always be a part of something that, what, is building the kingdom. Look at David. Once he stopped going into battles, he allowed himself to be placed into an environment that caused him to fail instantly. Why? When he became lazy about it. Don't ever become complacent. You know what? It's my job as a pastor to ensure that we don't become complacent. I have a council that I meet with once a month. And I've been the pastor for, what, two full years now? I believe it's been two, four years. And each year we have had a major, something major change or something major that we've done to the church. And so I hit them up two weeks ago with some major stuff again. You'll be hearing about it, don't worry. All right? Why? Because we cannot afford to become complacent. If, you know, I, I look at it, if a business becomes complacent or not trying to, to, to do better and to do more, eventually somebody's going to beat them out and it's going to become what? Unvaluable. This has to be the most valuable thing in this community, this church. Why? Because it's discipling people, and it's bringing people to know who Jesus Christ is. There's nothing greater than that in this entire world. Nothing greater than someone accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. So we cannot allow ourselves to become complacent. You cannot allow yourself to become complacent spiritually. When you get to the place where you go, I'm good today. I, I could take a day off of the devotion. We got a problem. Put the brakes on. You better get in it. Because you're missing out. God's got something for you. The enemy's trying to distract you to keep you away from a promise that God has in store for your life. All right, here we go. Number five, and the last one. 
when you lose it, losing the change becomes easier when you misunderstand failure, right? We misunderstand failure. I would imagine that the first time they broke the covenant, the devil really capitalized on that. He tempted them to do it, but then shamed them for it. Do you remember this? Uh, I think I said it about two weeks ago. Condemnation is there to drive us away from God. Conviction is there to drive us who? What? Toward God. The moment you find yourself going, how can, I can't go to church. Look how I'm living. Look what, look what I was involved in last night. Look, look at the, my inner circle and, and, and how, how, look at the decisions I've made. Look how I've, I've treated my family this week and understand something. That is from the adversary. He's wanting to distract you and he's wanting to pull you away from God. Be mindful of that. The moment you begin to feel that, no, I need to be in the word. I need to be with fellow faithful believers in my life. I need to be in the house of God. I cannot neglect it. Because we are all filthy rags. We are all sinners. We have spots and blemishes all over us. None of us are perfect and none of us will ever be. But I love this because God calls us to repentance. And every time we come before the Lord repenting, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. We become what? White as snow. In his eyes. That's truly all that matters anyway, isn't it? doesn't matter what I think or anyone else in this room might think about you. All that matters is what God thinks about you. God loves you. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, what? For you. That if you believe in him, you won't perish. He's going to what? Give you what? Everlasting life. Failure is necessary on the road to success. Watch this. I love this. Two-thirds of people who say that they want to quit smoking never tried it. Nine out of ten who do try fail. Pastor, that's not very encouraging. Watch. But for the ones who do succeed in quitting, failed on average six times before they were able to overcome it. I want to say this statement again. Failure is necessary on the road to success. It's never too late to begin to make the corrections necessary within your life. I don't care how many times you failed, let's do it again. But this time, let's do it together. You're part of a great church. Let's do this thing together. You're not going to do this thing called life on your own. I'm your pastor. I'm here. You got problems, so do I. Let's get together, let's talk about them, and let's pray. Let's do this thing of life together. I do my best to set you up in groups so that you can do life together. One day, some of you will click in your head and you'll get part of one. It'll start in March, okay? I want you to be equipped the best that you could possibly be. I want all of God for your life. I want you to be successful. I want to brag about you. Look what God's doing in so-and-so's life. I'm not jealous. I want you to be the richest person. I want you to have the greatest family. I want you to be the greatest encourager. I want you to be a better soul winner. I want you to pe reach people all across, gosh, everywhere. I want you to stand with me.
God's grace has not been exhausted. His passion is right here, right now, for your life. God wants you to keep the change. you got one more week of this sermon series, and I know it's going to be fantastic next week. But God wants you to keep this change. Watch your progress. Watch it what? Like a hawk. Be observant of your life. If you see where things need to change, today is the day. Start now. Don't put off for tomorrow. Don't put off for, you know, a week from now or a year from now. Let's start it now. Now, with all that said, everything I've said, if you don't have Jesus in your life, you can't receive that change. Jesus is the greatest change that you can ever have. To take you from, 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 from literally the pits of hell and to pull you into his kingdom. There's nothing like that. There's nothing like accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. That moment, watch this, everything changes. Why? Because the Holy Spirit begins to move and to work in your life. So my question to you today is this. If you don't know who Jesus Christ is as your Lord and Savior, I want today to be the day of salvation for you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask that question. If you want to give your life over to Jesus Christ today, I want you to slip your hand up. Today's the day. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see those. This is your opportunity. Today, everything changes. Today, everything becomes a brand new. Today, the angels rejoice specifically over your life. If that's you, raise your hand. See those hands. All right, here's what we're going to do as a church. Boldly, enthusiastically, we're going to pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, forgive me my sins. Cleanse me, Lord. Make me whole. Be my Savior. Today, I accept you in my life. And from this day forward, I will live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Amen. Now, here we've talked about this change. And, you know, we see here where Nehemiah brought change, brought direction within this group of people. They accepted it, and then they unraveled. Some of you today could be like, Pastor, I'm a follower of Christ. I love Jesus, but I feel just like them. I have unraveled. I've seen it. I've noticed it in my life. And today, I want this to be changed. I don't want to live like this no more. I want to get back on track. I want to make that covenant agreement again with him, the author and the finisher of all things, the Alpha and the Omega, what the beginning and the end, the one who holds all things in the palm of his hand. He's the, he is the masterpiece. I want him to work in everything. He's the potter. I'm the clay. I need him to fix this mess. I need this change. If that's you in your life, I want you to slip up your hand. And you want to see that. I see these hands. I see them. Don't be bashful about this. This is awesome. You want to see God bring this change? Let's pray this prayer right now. Lord, you see the hearts 
of every individual in here today who is wanting change. You've seen their, you've heard their prayers. God, you, you, you have seen the tears, the sleepless nights. But God, today, they, they, they've seen, Lord, where maybe they've unraveled. Where they need to come back into agreement and come back even into covenant with you. So God, I'm asking. I'm asking for your Holy Spirit to begin to move and to work in these lives. Bring the change, Lord. Let them begin to watch it like a hawk. Not allowing anything to, to distract them to the left or to the right or behind. But God, pursuing forward in your plan your purpose, and in your will. And because of this, Lord, I rejoice today. And God, we say we love you. You're an amazing God. You're the all-knowing, you're all-powerful. Today, Lord, we love you. We worship your holy name. And God, move in every heart that's represented here today. God, when we leave this place, let us not just keep the spirit that was here, here, but let us take it with us and bring application into our lives so that you can bring change. So Father, we love you. We thank you. And God, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, Amen. Amen. We love you guys. Have a great day.